listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. and welcome to this special edition of My Bleeding Ears Podcast. I'm your host, Larry, and with me today, as always, is Jessalyn. Hello. My Bleeding Ears Podcast is a weekly series where we talk about film and TV that we've seen lately, and we follow that up with a movie of the week, usually in the horror genre. But I like to stray every every few episodes. So, you know, one week we'll, we'll talk about a horror movie like Death Spa, but then the next week we'll review a movie like Commando or a Hong Kong action flick or... Maybe like a cerebral film like uh, The Guest or Cemetery Man or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, My Bleeding Ears has teamed up this Halloween with 8-Bit Geek Podcast to give you an exclusive episode. This year's theme for Halloween is Space Horror. Luckily, Jessalyn and I were tasked with what we believe, or me at least, is the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> <laughs> Which is James Cameron's 1986 sequel to Alien, awesomely titled Aliens. So, let's get this started. Uh, we will be reviewing the extended edition of this movie, or the uh, special edition. It's not called the director's cut for some reason. I'm not really sure, but this is the preferred cut by James Cameron. Right, so the director did cut it. Yeah, this was his original version of the film, but they were like, hey, cut out half hour or whatever, and, or 20 minutes. Okay. So they can fit it into theaters and get more money, for the most part. Plus they cut out a bunch of, like... Uh, Little scenes, little, little character development scenes, not too much along with a couple little battle scenes, but we'll get into that. Alien starts 57 years after your, after the original Alien, 
our hero, Ripley, played by Sigourney Weaver. And if you don't know who Sigourney Weaver is, she's been in all of the uh, Aliens films, uh, starting with the first one all the way up into uh, Resurrection, Alien Resurrection, that being the fourth film. Yeah, you are not listening to this podcast if you don't know who <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> uh, lately, she's been showing up in like bit parts and stuff. Um, she was in Cabin in the Woods. She did Avatar. Not like the leading role as she used to have, but more of these standout-ish cameo, as it kind of yeah, seems the like. Defenders, <laughs> the the... Netflix series. Right, right, yeah. yeah. That's where she played the the villain for a mm-hmm. short while. That's correct. Uh, so Ripley has been drifting in space since she last fought the Xenomorph, or alien, uh, that killed her entire crew in the first Alien movie. A salvage crew finds Ripley with her cat, Jonesy, and they take her back to a medical ship. She finds out that the planet where the Xenomorph originates has been colonized by the Whalen yutani Company. At an unspecified time after Ripley is cleared of wrongdoing, we find out that the Whalen yutani colonists on the planet of LB-427, or LB-426, I'm sorry, <laughs> has gone dark. Ripley is asked to go to the planet as a sort of guide, semi-leading a group of space marines to find out what happened. Guess what? All hell breaks loose. <clears throat> uh, when did you first see this movie? Oh, I was... Uh... So I didn't see it in the theater, so it could have uh-huh. been 1986. I have 1986 in my head, but that can't be right, because that's when it came out into the theaters. So it must have been as soon as it came out on VHS, so 87. Right. But, so that means yeah. your parents must have liked the first one, especially your dad, because he was a sci-fi buff, if I'm correct. He loves <laughs> sci-fi, yeah. Not crazy about horror, but there are certain horror movies that he does like. Right. Um, but yeah, loves sci-fi. So I definitely watched this with my dad. What were your first impressions when you first saw it? You know, I was seven, so <laughs> I loved it because my dad loved it. So right. my dad can't be wrong. This has got to be a great movie. I do remember I was drinking a glass of milk when I watched it. And so the <laughs> scene uh, at the end where... Where Bishop uh, gets Bishop torn in gets half. Torn <laughs> in half, I threw up. Oh, <laughs> with the milk. <laughs> I was seven, you guys. I'm just playing that scene out in my head right now of like Bishop like... And all that shit coming. <laughs> now I'm picturing you on a couch somewhere doing the exact same movements. Yeah, well, I made it to the bathroom, but yeah, I did. I think I remember, I watched the rest of the movie from the top of the stairs, because I was pretty scared that it was going to get gross again, and I wasn't going to be able to handle it. But uh, I loved it. I've watched this movie consistently since I was seven years old, uh, and I have some conflicting feelings about James Cameron <laughs> as of late, but I gotta hand it to them, him. This is one of his masterpieces. This is a great film. Right. I saw this in theaters. When I was about six years old. Who took you? That uh, was my dad and my brother, I want to say. Oh, okay. And I don't remember too much from that experience, but I do remember loving it, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, being pretty scared and having to go to the bathroom a few times. That's just because <laughs> I was a young kid and probably oh, drank okay. a lot of soda. <clears throat> so the bathroom had nothing to do with your fear? No, no, I wasn't okay. scared. That movie never really scared, scared me at all. Mm-hmm. I was just, I, I, I was just blown away when I was yeah. a six-year-old watching mm-hmm. it, so... So at the start of the movie, we first see the Narcissist, and that's the escape vessel from the, the Nostromo. The, it's kind of like a space tugboat, mm-hmm. one where Ripley and her crew were salvaging who knows what, I forgot what, and they came across the alien planet, uh, not alien planet, the alien ship on LB-426. Mm-hmm. They uh, inhabit the ship, find the aliens, and the alien ends up killing the entire crew. So she gets out, kills the alien, and blah, 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 right? Uh, she is discovered by the, the salvagers who find her along with the cat. 
And I always thought the guy who found them, who first, like, enters the ship through that badass, you know, that cutting utensil they do for the whole door. Right. <laughs> yeah, I want one of those just because. It's like, uh, I always thought that guy was Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> I don't know, he just kind of looked like him. I was like, well, Dan Aykroyd, cameo, all right. Well, but I'll it wasn't get it. a good look next time, because there will be a next time, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, we see Ripley waking up in a, a medical spaceship after being rescued, and she's greeted by Carter Burke, who, uh, he's a top official in the Wayland yutani Company, who owned Ripley's ship. So he meets her in this hospital. He's played by Paul Reiser, who mm-hmm. you would remember from, like, a TV show's Mad About You. Or, yeah, or Beverly Hills Cop. Beverly Hills Cop. He always kind of like a shystery, kind of shitty character that you never trusted kind of guy. Yeah, he's perfect. Yeah, exactly. He's perfect for this movie. In Mad About You, he's supposed to be a good guy, and I don't really buy it. Yeah, I know. (laughs) You never really buy it. He just always seems like a jerk. He's better slimy. So Burke the Jerk was always (laughs) well-fitting for this character. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ripley's notified about how long she's lost, and then she starts to have like these chest pains, and we see... Like an alien popping out of her chest, reminiscent of the first Alien movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we find out it's a dream. Right. So we're kind of, you know, fooled in the beginning here. Good one, James Cameron. It, yeah. it, it fooled me. Uh, a little note to the the hospital ship they have there. It's kind of cool looking, watching the movie last time. And you see the Weyland Utani, uh, like, uh, a logo everywhere, like on equipment and stuff. So I kind of thought that was kind of like a nice little touch there that they put like everything is probably owned by this company by now mm-hmm. probably gonna happen in the real world at some point so <clears throat> <laughs> then we go to this scene afterward after we find out it's a dream and it's of ripley learning that she had been lost for 57 years and she was wondering about her daughter daughter so carter burke comes and tells her that her daughter died and Ripley's really sad because she wanted to, you know, be home for her 11th birthday, but she never made it home. Yeah. I don't know if I mentioned this yet, but this was a cut scene from the original. This was not in the theatrical version. This is only available in the special edition. And I like this scene a lot because it gives a lot of character and a really good setup to the motherly figure that Ripley is going to be throughout this movie, especially to Newt. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the really special parts of this movie is not just that it's a female heroine, but also that her strength is her maternal instincts. Exactly, so, yeah, yes. I, it's, now, do we find out at the daughter, about the daughter at all in the theatrical release? No, or? we don't. It's okay. it's totally cut out from the film. Okay. Which really, I mean, like I said before, which really sets up really well about with uh, Ripley taking on motherly roles with mm-hmm. an abandoned newt. It's what makes her so powerful, yes. Right. So after that, we cut to a boardroom scene where Ripley is getting grilled by Weyland Yutani suits, asking her what went wrong on that ship. They're not really believing her about this alien on board, and they kind of they don't have enough evidence to say that it wasn't there. But she ends up her license is revoked from the ship, and then she has to do kind of work the docks in a way. Right. You know, <clears throat> I wanted to add one point here, and this is something that I think I just noticed. 
when they open that scene in the debriefing scene, she's standing up in front of them. Right. And it gives you this feeling like she's in charge of this meeting. And then yeah. after a couple of lines, you realize, oh, no, she's being debriefed. She's right, yeah. Down. But it's interesting that they open the scene with her standing up. Yeah, that is. You know, I never really noticed that. That's yeah. an awesome, awesome little catch there. <clears throat> and she tries to hold her own against everyone there, and she's just getting drilled. And then finally she goes to the head guy. His name is Dan Lewin. Or Van Lewin. I'm sorry, Van Lewin. <laughs> and she asks, you know, why don't we just go down on that planet and I'll show you her. Why don't you just, I'm not her, but she's like, check it out. And he's like, well, there have been colonists living there for decades now trying to make the air breathable on this planet where the ship is supposedly supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So after that, we get to, um, we cut to another cut scene from the theatrical version, which is of the, the colony on LV-426 of workers and we get to know the name of the place. It's called Hadley's Hope, and there's a population of 158 people there, mm-hmm. uh, which Van Leeuwen also said that there was like 70, 80 families. Right. So this, these people are going to be there for a very long time, trying to make this planet breathable and clean for uh, people from Earth, I guess. I mean, Earth's probably going to be fucked up by the time yeah. this movie uh, exists. I, I think he said that they've been there for 20 years, which yeah. means that Newt, who we'll meet later, was obviously born. On born on, yeah, yeah, on that planet. Mm-hmm. We see people working, and we catch a conversation about a family that found something on LV-426. Want to know if they can have dibs on it, and there's just this whole conversation between these two guys saying, you know, we barely get any, you know, we can't get an answer down here, and whatever it is, it's like, don't ask, you know. So, yeah, whatever they find, they can keep it. And that's when we we cut to a scene of, um, we get to meet the the family of Newt. Newt, uh, what's her name in the, her real name, Carol Ann? No, it's uh, Rebecca. Rebecca. Mm -hmm. We get to meet Rebecca, a.k.a. Newt, for the first time, along with her family. Mm -hmm. Her brother and her mother and her dad, they are the ones who were were out and found, I guess, the the old ship from the first alien, and they enter, the parents enter, and come back out. Uh, One of them is infected with the facehugger alien, and it's... Implanting an egg inside of her dad as we speak, and the scene ends with her mother calling for help and Newt screaming very loudly, which will come into play a few more times right. throughout this movie. So I don't. I hope I'm not jumping ahead, but I said to you that I didn't really. So this is part of the director's cut or whatever the yes. special edition. None of this was in the theatrical release, and I said it does make it clearer how these colony colonists go missing, but it's still a huge coincidence to me that this happens right when Ripley wakes up. And then you explain... And then well, I'll explain it later yeah, once so, we get okay, to the part. What's okay. uh, another good part about this is I, that I don't like that it was cut is that we get to see children at this station running around playing. Yes. And just knowing later on when we get back to here, they're all dead. And that's yeah. it. You said it really affects you more to yes. see those families and see those children. Yes. And you're right, it does. Mm-hmm. The next scene, we get to see Burke and Lieutenant Gorman, who is played by William Hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in a lot of TV. Not like, uh, I haven't really seen him all that much in film. Actually, once in a while, I think Dark Ways or Dark Doors or whatever. There was that yeah. horror movie with Lordy in it. He was in that one. He's British, and he's done tons of British TV, mm-hmm. and there's also a voice on Thomas and Friends. <laughs> Thomas the Tank? Or what is that? Tom- well, no, he's not Thomas, but the show's called, I don't know, he might be Thomas, I just saw that. <laughs> yeah. There's like a thousand Thomas and Friends credits. Okay. Yeah, he's a British guy. So we get to meet Burke again and Gorman. 
and they are at Ripley's apartment, an unspecified time after that whole meeting she has with the people from Whalen Utani. We're not told yeah. it could be a month, it could be even a year later. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only difference is with Ripley is that her hair is a lot shorter. So Gorman and Burke tell Ripley that uh, they lost contact with the people down in LV-426 and they would like her as a guide to go down there and maybe she can help them figure out what happened because what she was saying may be true. And she's pretty much like, fuck you guys, I'm not going back. You guys can go to hell. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that shit again, fuck that. And Burke kind of sweetens the pie, he's like, you know, I I see you're kind of, he's like, yeah, you're living in this shitty apartment. He's not saying this or like that, but he's kind of implying, like, you have a shitty life. Because yeah. Ripley's got a small, dank apartment. She's got a kind of a shitty job, which can't fly ships anymore. So Right, she used to be a pilot. I thought it was interesting, this is the first time I noticed this as an adult woman, I think, is that he kind of baits her and says, I'll improve your career. Right. You do this. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <clears throat> she initially says no, but one thing that Burke does say to her is, like, I've read your like your psych report, which is monthly, and that you have night terrors about this shit all the yeah. time. So the next scene after that is Ripley waking up from a night terror. And what I really found interesting about this scene is that the shadow going over Ripley is are look like bars from a prison. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of trapped in her own hell right now of what she went through and the Nostromo. So maybe if she goes and helps save these people that she'll have some redemption, you know. So she calls Burke. Yeah. yeah, she'll have some closure to it. And she she calls Burke on her little video phone and says, yeah, I'll do it. We're just going to go down there and help these people out and destroy this creature. We're not going to... We're not doing this to make money and capture this creature and have a defense program. He's like, oh, no, of course not. And then she's like, all right. And then she just hangs up on his ass. Yeah. The, the phone is like a video game console. It's like, oh, the future. It's like a little deck when you put a little card in there. <laughs> so she accepts and then goes to... Uh, and then, well, the next scene we get to see the Sulaco, and that's a military ship that's shaped like a gun, which James Cameron did that on purpose anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done a little research about this movie, so I know. I, uh, you know, I've listened <laughs> to commentaries before, and yeah, I've, I've, I've seen this film probably about a hundred times, and it's not even an exaggeration. <laughs> It's a, uh, the Sulaco is a military ship with tons of firepower marines. All the marines are waking up out of their sleep in their little cryopods, along with Ripney, Ripley and some other people, too. Not the cat. Not the cat. That little shit stay, that little shit stay in there, Jonesy. <laughs> and that's when we're introduced to the rest of our cast, which includes 
Michael Bean as Hicks, Corporal Hicks. Mm-hmm. He's been in a lot of different James Cameron movies, being the Abyss, uh, Terminator, uh, brief part in Terminator 2. Uh, he's been in The Rock, tons of movies. He should have been a bigger star, and he just never yeah. made it, you know. He should have. It, it, I don't know why. I agree. I always kind of had an obsession with him when I was a kid. Because, you know, he's easy on the eyes. Oh, yeah. But also, yeah, good actor. Um, dies and everything, unfortunately. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Next, uh, we also meet Private Hudson, who is played by Bill Paxton. He did was in True Lies... Twister, Big Love, did some directing. Uh, he did uh, Terminator. He gets killed. One of the punks he's in Terminator. One of the punks in the beginning. Yeah. He's one of the only guys killed by a predator, a Terminator, and an alien. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> we meet Private Vasquez, played by Jeanette Goldstein. Uh, she was in Lethal Weapon 2, Terminator 2, played one of the vampires in Near Dark, played one of the lower deck people in Titanic. So, another one of James Cameron's go to people. Mm hmm. Al Matthews, who just passed away recently. Yeah, just five days ago, yeah. I think. Yeah, played Sergeant Apone. He was in The Fifth Elements, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. He was actually in the military, and he did help train some of the some of the guys in like the, the lineup scenes and everything. He was mm-hmm. a big part of that. Uh, Mark Rolston, he plays Private Drake. He's like a Vasquez's partner, in which they have a really cool dynamic. And yeah. They're like the smart gun guys, mm-hmm. or guy and woman, man and woman. they have a great together. platonic friendship. <clears throat> right, yeah. yeah. They're awesome together. Uh, if you don't know Mark Rolston, he was in Shawshank Redemption, The Departed, uh, tons of TV. So much TV, yeah. <laughs> He's in a documentary called That Guy Who Was In That Thing. Yeah, exactly. That Guy Who Was In That Thing. I've actually seen that movie. It was yeah, pretty cool. So yeah, so have I. <laughs> We saw it together, nice. Mm-hmm. Rico Ross, he plays Private Frost. He was in Wishmaster and a movie that we actually reviewed here before called The Church. Oh, oh okay. I thought I brought that up to you the yeah. other day and you are like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Colette Hiller plays Pharaoh, uh, Corporal Pharaoh. She is the pilot of the ship. I haven't really seen her in all that much stuff, but I guess she's in yeah. ragtime. Yeah, that was the only thing I even recognized. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot. <clears throat> we got Daniel Cash, who played Private Smugmire. He was another one of the pilots. He was in uh, the Robo- RoboCop remake, Mama. He was one of the main characters in that The Strain. So oh, he's yeah. done tons of stuff. He was a Nightbreed also. Tons and tons of stuff. Lots I actually, of TV, yeah. I actually met him at a Comic-Con one time. Yes, did. When I saw him, I was like, oh, fuck, Smugmire! <laughs> Uh, Cynthia Dale Scott played Corporal Dietrich. Uh, Cynthia. Cynthia Dale Scott. Uh, I don't remember much she was in, but I guess she was a wardrobe assistant on Demons. Nothing. She wasn't really in anything else. Yeah, she was mostly wardrobe. Probably a stage actor at some point, Mm -hmm. because this movie was filmed in, uh, I'm going to say Britain. Oh, okay. It wasn't filmed in... Uh, and there's actually really good stories about filming that James Cameron has, about him filming in Great Britain, how they have tea time and everything, and he used to piss him off. He's like, dude, I got tons of shots to do, and these guys are drinking <laughs> fucking tea. Like, come on, let's go. <laughs> so Anyway, and Tip Tipping, who plays Private Crow, uh, another guy we really don't know too much about. He's a big-time <laughs> British stunt coordinator, though. He's done a bunch of British TV oh, cool. movies. And... Uh, a- Several episodes of Doctor Who where he was the stunt coordinator for those. And there's also Private Wersbowski, and I don't know too much about him either. He's not really in the movie, along with Private Crow, all that much. Right. They're kind of like the the, 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 
let's just say that there's tiers of fodder. They're like the bottom tier of the fodder of people who die. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they they yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> Not all the deaths have to be dramatic. There are a couple right. of people that you just pick off quickly. And I like the whole, uh, the character building that they do of these these Marines also. Like, Hicks, you get to see that he's like a chill personality. Mm-hmm. Upon the sergeant's really pretty fun, but he's he's strict also. But he, you can tell he has a collegial relationship with these Marines. Right, right. And uh, Hudson's kind of a goofball. And then last but not least, we finally get to meet... Lance Henriksen's character, Bishop, who is, we get to find out, is an android. The android that was in the crew that Ripley was a part of malfunctioned, so she's kind of afraid of androids, but this is 57 years later, and Bishop's like, you know, things have changed back then, we're kind of different now, we don't, you know, we can't attack humans and stuff. And it didn't just malfunction, it tried to kill her. It tried to kill her. And then its job was actually to bring that specimen back. Correct, yeah. yeah. She doesn't trust bitches. She doesn't trust androids at all. Uh, we get a, some more brief development with the Marines during their, their when they do their mission briefing of why they're going to LB426. Uh, Ripley tells them about the aliens and she's, you know, tripping over her words, but the Marines are <clears throat> really cocky and are like, yeah, well, uh, you know, this is going to be a bug hunt. There's, you know, or whatever. This is going to be in and out. This is nothing. Yeah, I think Vasquez calls her Snow White. <laughs> 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 Who's up with Snow White? <laughs> <laughs> then we get to see some more of the firepower from the Marines. We get to see their their power loader, which Ripley gets to control for a little while in the beginning. Because uh, all these Marines have a job, and Ripley's kind of just like, what do I do? And they're like... Oh, what can you do? <laughs> and she's like, I can control that. And she shows that she can hold her own with the guys. Uh, nice little exposition point here, just mm-hmm. to show that Ripley is capable of everything everyone else is. A little bit of foreshadowing. And yeah, and a little foreshadowing also. Rig or whatever it's called. What's that thing called? It's a power loader. Power loader, yes. And we get to first see the dropship also that takes them to the planet of LV-426. Uh, it reminds me kind of of Dragonfly a little bit, and there's a cool little emblem on that ship too. It's called the the Bug Stomper, and, <laughs> and which really goes back to what this movie is: that these aliens are bugs, yes. and they're parasites, which it really makes sense into this. Next, we're introduced to the car that's going to be driving into the dropship that's going to transport the Marines and whomever is in it on the planet of LV four two six. From place to place, and it's like this huge limousine-looking kind of car with like a gun on it, and it's just filled with armor and munitions, and it's just badass. Uh, the war- the dropship drops them off to LB426, and everyone departs, and they finally reach the compound after probably about, uh, I want to say about 45 minutes, we finally get to the planet. Can Maybe just- even more. So what do you have to say about the dropship? Well, I just wanted to say that you get a little bit more character development because oh. Gorman's only dropped twice, twice including right. this one, whereas Hicks falls asleep because right. he's dropped so many times. Right, exactly. So they finally reach the doors, they get in, and they're in the colony, and they get to see evidence, finally, of the aliens. They've left, like, acid droppings, I want to say, to where it just burned off walls and ceilings and floors of this complex Ripley is seeing all this kind of freaking out a little bit while everyone's taking this in stride still not really believing in her mm-hmm. while searching through the complex we get to finally meet Newt she's the only survivor of this alien attack Ripley who is the most scared out of all of them 
is actually the one who chases after Newt and finds like her little hiding place where she stored food and just uh, rations and pictures of her family and, and clothing or whatever she can find so she can hide from this threat of aliens that are supposedly on the station. Mm-hmm. She's very, very dirty, so it this could have been a very long time that she's been there, and yeah. who knows how long between time has passed. Uh, they rescue Newt and bring her into the like this comm station where they get all these different maps so maybe they can find these colonists. Ripley starts to question Newt about what's happening, and Newt really doesn't want to talk, but none of the other soldiers can get a word out of her, so Ripley starts to interview her and show her like motherly ways so that you know she can feel a little more comfortable. But Newt's like, you know, nothing's going to happen. All these soldiers here, we're not going to be any better off than we were before, mm-hmm. so we're all going to fucking die. Can we just get the hell out of here, or can I get the hell out of here yeah. and just go back to hiding? Can I go now? Yeah, yeah can I go now? <laughs> Did you ever... What do you think you would have done in that situation? Died. You would have just died. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I like to think. I would have been a newt. <laughs> what about you? What do you think? Oh, I, would been, I would have died too. <laughs> <laughs> so they finally find all the colonists through like this mapping system. Because they were all like chipped. Like you do with animals and shit. Out. Yeah. Like, tracking devices on them. And, and they find out they're all in like, the, the, like this kind of... Uh, Right by, like, the nuclear reactor part of this terraforming station that the colonists were, were building, which we find out is very hot and very kind of steamy, right where a nest of things would be, mm-hmm. of course. And then we were finally introduced to, like, the, the secretions that the aliens create, and they make their own kind of station in the colony. So, so they... And the cool thing about these secretions is that it's like a hive, and the aliens can hide in, like, these little pockets of the secretion and just no one can notice. And yeah. they can just hide there forever. Who knows? Mm-hmm. You know, just wait for something to come around and they can finally get... I don't think they eat humans for a meal. I no. just think there's they either kill them or they cocoon them. Cocoon them, yeah. For the queen. And unfortunately, seeing as this is right by the nuclear reactor, they can't fire any of their ammunition there because they're like explosive tips. So if they were to hit the reactor, the whole planet would blow up. Which only Ripley realizes. Yeah, and she tells Gorman, who's really inexperienced about this shit and yeah. is kind of shitting in his pants at this moment anyway, mm-hmm. he has to tell that the, the tell the Marines that they can no longer carry their weapon, carry ammunition anymore. Only the, what do they call them? Like uh, flamethrowers, flame, flame units. Flame or something. <laughs> and uh, luckily, uh, Hicks has a shotgun, though, that he keeps for close encounters. <laughs> which is a double meaning, of course, because shotguns are used for close combat and close encounters are aliens. aliens. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a cool little, yeah, gotcha in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because Drake and Vasquez don't... I mean, they give up their ammunition, but they have extra, and they kind of keep it on them just in case, you know? Yeah. Because they don't give a shit about Gorman. Right. Yeah, they don't respect him at all. Uh, They finally reach part of the secretions where they see the colonists that have been strung up on the walls and implanted with the facehugger embryos. They reach one of them that hasn't hatched yet, and there's a survivor... And the survivor says, kill me, which is a throwback to a deleted scene from the first Alien movie, which is now part of the canon, I believe, with the director's cut of Ridley Scott's film. So when I first, when we, everyone first saw this movie, they were like, um, okay, kill me, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Then they saw the, that cut scene from Alien and like, holy shit, that's a throwback, awesome. Mm-hmm. You know? 
That's really cool. But also, Ripley says it in her nightmare. And yeah, she says it in her nightmare also, which is just another throwback, and which really invests Ripley, too, because she sees this happening. She's not with the Marines. She's in the the transport to get to the Marines to where they needed to go in this reactor. So she's just watching this on their, the screens because the Marines have shoulder-mounted cameras and you're able to see what they see for the most part. Mm-hmm. Although there is a lot of interference, which works very well with saving up on special effects for this movie because right after the part where, you know, the kill me and they exterminate the alien, the aliens hear that and start coming out of the walls and they attack the Marines. And we get to see a lot of that action through the eyes of the Marines with their cameras so we just hear a lot of gunshots and screaming, but we don't really see anything just yet. Right. Which really just builds up to Ripley just saying, fuck Gorman, I'm going to go rescue these guys right now. And, mm-hmm. and as soon as Ripley gives up and goes to start driving, that's when the music really hits and starts picking up. And you hear this, this Marine Army-infused soundtrack of drums just pick up. And it's infused with this hero soundtrack that, uh, we'll call it Ripley's theme. Mm-hmm. And it really just starts to come together. And the action just starts to go off. first dead in this scene is Frost. He's unfortunately tasked with carrying all the ammunition. And he's killed by a flamethrower because Dietrich gets grabbed by one of the aliens and, you know, uh, taken to be uh, incubated. Mm-hmm. These two characters, like I was saying, the lower tier ones, they are just above the Wierzbowski and Crow because these guys actually had lines in the movie. <laughs> like two lines. Yeah, two lines. <laughs> Dietrich captured... Crow and Wierzbowski are hit by an explosion. I believe Crow is killed by that explosion, and Wierzbowski, you hear him screaming because an alien's killing him or either trapping him, we don't know, and his camera goes out, and that's all we know about Wierzbowski. Mm-hmm. Apon is captured by an alien. The reason we know this is because the, the scene shown is him getting attacked, and that's it, and later on, Hudson saying... Um, he's able to see his EKG because all the soldiers are uh, have an EKG on them, telling them if they're alive or dead. Right. And he's like saying, "Well, these guys are still alive. Their signs are really low, but they're still alive. You know, so yeah. we don't. But they eventually do die. <laughs> right. So <laughs> Ripley's just peeling ass through the different complexes, trying to save them, and she finally reaches them after killing a few aliens. Vasquez and Drake are." kicking ass, blowing everything up. Drake is one of my favorite characters and was one of my mother's favorite characters, too. Um, A little side note about that is that my mother was in the military, Mm -hmm. so she knew a lot about military stuff, and she was like, the the character of Drake was kind of the most believable out of all of them. Apone's character wasn't really um, believable to her because he was a little chubby, and he was like, you know... (laughs) They were really in shape. There were no fat dudes, okay? And I mean, if you're going to be put into a company like this. So it, she didn't like that part, but other than that, she was fine. actually is a military. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. I'm retired, but yeah. 
told me that about your mom. Yeah. Interesting. So it's been an hour and 15 minutes before we get the first full-grown alien in this movie. That's a long time before you feature a monster that's going to be predominant throughout the whole film. You can go back to the original Alien, and yeah, sure, it took probably around the same amount of time, maybe a little bit longer to show to Alien, but that's just, you're being introduced to this 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 villain. But with Aliens, you already know this villain, so let's yeah. get out there. But the build-up and tension really make everything worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Ripley saves everyone. Uh, everyone left is Gorman, Vasquez, Hudson, Hicks. Gorman gets knocked out. And uh, Ripley peels ass the hell out of there. Calls Weirzbowski and Farrell in a different part of the complex with the ship saying, hey, we need to get the fuck out of here. Come pick us up. So Farrell starts to take the ship off, but um, Spunkmeyer, my favorite name so far <laughs> in this movie, he uh, goes to the to the, the the front of the ship, but he actually like feels like some goo. He's like, oh, wait a minute, I got some shit. But So an alien boarded the ship. The ship crashes, and there goes Spunkbauer and Pharaoh. They're gone. Mm-hmm. The rest of our protagonists head back to, like, uh, I believe it's kind of like this control room where there's only two ways into it to kind of board themselves in against the aliens. So they can just, you know, kind of get things together. This is another cut scene from the original version where we're introduced to the sentry guns that the Marines had put on their ship. And that actually survived all the mayhem and everything. So they're, they're able to put up these sentry guns in these two different hallways that lead to this control room. And they are motion activated. Uh, I don't know why this is necessarily cut out of the entire film other than maybe just time. Because I don't think it was too much of an integral scene. It's not, yeah, it's not necessarily important, important but it does illustrate how many... Aliens there are. Right, right. Cockroaches. Cockroaches. <laughs> Bugs. Uh, these sentry guns, there's four of them all together, two per hallway, have about 500 rounds each, and they just totally empty them out in the first hallway. And, yeah, there's just, must have been tons. At least 158, I guess, because that's right. how much I had these hope, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's cool to see, like, during these scenes where they're getting everything together, that Ripley kind of takes over. She's the one who says, all right, let's board off over here. Let's put these sentry guns over here, and then we'll figure it out from there. And everyone's like, oh, fuck, okay. Uh, Ripley's taking over now. Let's mm-hmm. let's head it. Let's go from there. They end up learning that they won't be reported missing for 17 days. Mm-hmm. So they kind of set up this whole command center for to be there for 17 days. You can see in a subsequent scene where they're just getting a bunch of equipment, a bunch of rations, and they're wait, just waiting to hold out. But unfortunately, what ends up happening is that that reactor malfunctions because of all the firing that happened earlier, that they only have about five hours, <laughs> not 17 days, <laughs> to get the fuck out of there. Hicks ends up giving Ripley like a, a locator, so it looks like a watch kind of, yeah. but it's just like a location device for uh, for Ripley, and she ends up giving it to Newt later. Uh, they have this really cool scene, her and Newt's, um, where... It's like a good mother-daughter scene where Newt's scared and, you know, I don't want to dream. And Ripley's like, you know, it's okay. You know, I'm here and everything. And it's just a very cool motherly scene. Mm-hmm. What specifically did you get out of that scene? Well, it's definitely a nice bonding moment between Ripley and Newt. 
and I do think that additional scene where you find out about Ripley, Ripley's daughter makes this scene more effective. It is an you, extended scene, too. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, because, you know, you realize that Ripley is a mother, and she right. just found out she lost a daughter. Right. So, I, like I said, her maternal instincts are what makes her powerful, and it's a really beautiful scene. There's no surprise at all what she decides to do later. That you'll get to. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, Ripley then finds out that Burke is the one who is responsible for sending those people out to that derelict ship, mm-hmm. knowing full well that, you know, Ripley <laughs> you know, told them all about it already, knowing that these guys are going to die or could possibly die just so he can make a little money. You right? Know? Mm-hmm. Right. He's just some corporate douchebag. He doesn't care about human life. Yeah. Exactly. He was fucking everyone over for a percentage. Yeah. I think that's what Ripley says anyway. (laughs) And that scene is kind of cut short because there's another cut-out sentry gun scene where the aliens are coming through another hallway and the sentry guns almost run out of bullets, but they stop and the aliens stop advancing forward, which is kind of important to a a scene that's going to be coming up later on. We learn that, after that, we learn that the reactor is going to blow in about four hours and that there is a way to remote pilot a ship down from uh, the Sulaco ship, uh, an exact like the the um, another dragonfly looking ship is going to come down, but it has to be remote piloted from another part of the base. No one wants to do it except you know Bishop says I'll do it because he's an android and he's the only one really able to do this. Mm-hmm. And there's some funny exchanges with Hudson in this because he's Hudson's character is totally just. He's over it, man. You know, he's he's saying, what, two more weeks? He was going to be out anyway, and then now he's stuck here. He's probably going to die. Yeah, he's freaking out the whole time. And I don't know how much of that is improvised by Bill Paxton, but he's got some really great one-liners. Oh, yeah, he's got some of the greatest one-liners of all time in (laughs) this movie. But I, I always thought... I remember growing up and really not liking the character of Hudson, but then being growing up and actually putting myself in that situation, I would probably be a lot like Hudson. Yeah. <laughs> be Hudson, yeah. I'd be pretty pissed off. So. <laughs> You're all Hudson. <laughs> so Bishop goes out to remote the, the ship, and while he's doing that, Ripley goes and checks on Newt, and she passes out and wakes up later and finds out that a couple of face huggers were planted in there by Burke. Uh, so that Burke can implant them with the embryos and sneak them on the ship when they get the hell out of there with the um, the embryos still in them, and then Waylon Yutani can take those and make military weapons. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is that uh, Ripley lights the fire alarm in the room, and the uh, well, the sprinklers go off and everything, and the people in the in the uh, command center find this out, Hicks and everyone, and they come and run. And see that Ripley and Newt can't get out of this room. It's super locked up. So Hicks goes, shoot out the glass. So they shoot the glass and he jumps through it. And that's just something I've always wanted to do in my <laughs> life. And I'm fucking going to do it someday. I don't know when, but it's going to happen. I'm You're doing that. It's all cut to hell, even if it's breakaway glass. <laughs> but it's going to be awesome, though. <laughs> and I'm going to have all the, 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 the Marine armor on and everything. I'm going to have a pulse rifle. Fuck it, maybe even a smart gun, too. I'm doing it, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> so they save Newt, and Ripley almost gets uh, taken by a facehugger, but luckily she's saved. There's some really good animation and puppetry done in this scene. Uh, it's blended in seamlessly. I, 
I really recommend watching all the different specials of this of this film, especially off of the Alien Quadrilogy, where they do really in depth. It must be like two or three hours long. Yeah. So I, I definitely suggest watching that just yeah. to see how they did the whole face hugger scene. Yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing because even knowing how they did it, it's still so scary. That right. thing still looks organic and real. Yeah. Flipping around in the wire. Mm-hmm. It's like a squid. <laughs> and how they did it is actually kind of simple puppetry. Yeah, it so is. Terrifying. Yeah. After that, everyone grabs Burke and they're about to waste him. But then the aliens cut the power. And how can they cut the power, man? They're animals. Or bugs, either one. They're bugs. (laughs) So this is one of our last standoffs that we're going to have with the rest of our military personnel. And another little piece of equipment that the the Marines have in Aliens is motion sensors. And that's a good way of not having to show the aliens. Mm -hmm. Kind of what they did with Jaws with the barrels. Yeah. Um, So when they're all kind of quartered off in this command center they have this motion center and they're getting movement all around them and it seems like the aliens have gotten past the barricades and they're inside close to where they are but with any bug or any parasite they're gonna find a way in Mm -hmm. and of course the aliens do find a way in less than probably about two or three hours it takes them to get in there even though they're held up we're trying to hold up for 17 days they got in there pretty quickly and one of the greatest scenes of, of the film is when they find out that the aliens are getting in through either underneath or on top of them. And Hicks goes and looks up above and sees that there's a shit ton of aliens coming towards them. Wall to wall. Like roaches. And all hell breaks loose again. We finally get to see Hudson in some good action. He's wasting aliens, acting like you know the goofball he was in the first but actually being that badass in this movie for the first time. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he gets taken out in the middle of this battle. He tries to get saved, but an alien grabs him from underneath and just takes him and cocoons him. I don't think he yeah, dies. No, it goes out like a Viking. Though. He does, man. That was awesome. And this is the first time we get to see Ripley with a gun in this movie or in this series at all. And it's really cool the way they did it, too, is that she has this pulse rifle, and when she fires it, it gives her a kick, and she kind of she's kind of scared, but she wastes the alien when she does it. It's just really cool to see that she's inexperienced with this, but yet she's still holding her own, mm-hmm. even without all the experience that the Marines have, and just combat at all. So it's, right. it's cool to see her, you know, learning as she's going along. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Burke traps them again in there. Burke's really a pisser, man. He oh, really he locks everyone out. He locks two different doors behind him so they can't get out of this where they're barricaded in. But he meets his end by an alien, and they, you know, I guess they cocoon him because originally I thought Burke dies maybe right after he gets caught by an alien. Yeah, isn't there blood splatter? No, there isn't a blood splatter. You just see the the alien's mouth, jaw come out, and you hear, like that. Oh, okay. But there was a deleted scene that was just unearthed maybe less than a year ago of Burke cocooned. And when Ripley goes to find Newt, which we'll get to in a second, is um, she passes Burke by, (laughs) and he's cocooned and all shitty, and she kind of just, like, walks by (laughs) and doesn't do anything for him, lets him suffer. Yeah, I forgot (laughs) all about that deleted. Uh, Vasquez and Gorman and the rest of them uh, are being let out by Newt because she lived in that complex for so long and knew all the air vents that they Mm -hmm. escaped through so she knows the way 
to the dropship where it's going to be. So she starts leading everyone, but the aliens are totally taking over these vents, which are filmed really well because they're all in red light, and you're only getting, like, two-color tones going on in this film until they uh, some of the characters eventually make it out into their full color. But it's kind of like a, a, a game-over screen, I think, in a way, for some of the characters Aww. because Vasquez and Gorman... Uh, meet their ends. Really cool way though. They yeah. they Vasquez gets wounded and she can't walk anymore. And Gorman goes back for her because Gorman was a real shitty lieutenant throughout this. So this is kind of his semi redemption. Yeah, he's not a bad man. Yeah, he's just a shitty leader and an experienced mm-hmm. leader. Uh, so they they let a grenade go off in their hand, destroy some aliens, and unfortunately when this happens, Newt gets lost in like this slide it looks like uh, yeah <laughs> I, I always thought that this part of this this whole place was kind of weird where they just had like this Did maybe it was like a well or, or maybe it was a well or something or like, like a broken a, vent maybe i don't know well there was like a wheel they were climbing on maybe it was yeah. like a wind like those things that have water like a circulation of some sort yeah yeah vents? you know okay. the, like a little waterfall thing yeah. where they spin it around maybe one one of those things but she falls down into this Underneath this, where this whole like sewer system it looks like, uh, but luckily she has the transmitter that Hicks gave Ripley and Ripley gave Newt. Mm-hmm. She has that, so they're able to find her. And when they do, they try and saw through the floor, but they're too late because an alien grabs her and eventually cocoons her. I love this scene a lot because there's a quick two second shots of Newt in the water. And she turns around, and they they show the alien coming up from the water. And the alien is must be seven, eight feet tall. But what makes it really imposing is that the tail of this alien comes up first, and it's and it's not like wiggling around. It's just rising with the alien, and it's very, very imposing. Having an eight foot alien next to a small child in this. In this sewer of, of yeah. piss and whatever, and it's silent. Right, it doesn't make any noise when it comes. Yeah, out that's of the water. absolutely yeah. true, and that's frightening. And that's all you see mm-hmm. of the alien too. You don't get a lot of you don't get a lot of long shots of aliens in this movie, especially mm-hmm. in the light. Which, of course, I'm sure it's because of budgetary reasons. And mm-hmm. another cool little fact about that too is that I believe they only had about six suits for the aliens, so there oh, okay. I think there would only be six at the most at a time. And they could always just cover it up with having aliens in the background and, you know, just having, you know, the top part or the bottom part of the costume or whatever. So uh, they reached the ship because Bishop was able to bring it back. Hicks and Ripley made it back, but unfortunately, on their way to that ship, Hicks 
blasted an alien when they're they got oh it's a really cool scene you know that yeah. Ripley and Hicks are running and they get to the elevator the elevator door won't close and I always play that out in my head whenever I hit an elevator anyway it's like I hit the button like oh hurry up and close you know <laughs> and uh, of course it never works I, I don't know why elevator buttons even have a close button on it because it never works most of the time yeah I hear that it's just for show it's not oh, a real thing that does anything that's stupid <laughs> so they're, they're hitting the button and an alien comes in he blasts it and. Unfortunately, acid splashes all over Hicks and his armor and his face. And it's a really cool scene where he's dropping his armor off and it's kind of just dissolving right in front of you. It's mm-hmm. just, ah, yeah. So they make it back to the ship. Hicks is fucked up. Ripley goes to Bishop, you know, um, we're not leaving. He's like, what, we're not? Wait. Because <laughs> uh, because Newt was taken, she wants to go find her. And that motherly responsibility yeah. again. Which leads me to my favorite scene of this movie. It is the scene of Ripley getting ready to find Newt in the next 10 minutes. That's all she has until this whole place blows up. 14. 14 minutes. <laughs> and it's a scene uh, reminiscent of a lot of scenes that have happened in movies anyway. It's that gearing up scene. You're getting all like your guns together. You're getting your clothes, your shit ready. But I like this the way Ripley does it is because she grabs all that shit like, I'm leaving, I'm going to go get Newt. Goes to the elevator and starts doing all that shit in the elevator, getting ready. And it's just a really cool scene yeah. where, like, she's heading down this elevator to the depths of hell, you know, to find Newt and get the fuck out of there. And she's just getting ready. She gets duct tape and tapes the flamethrower with a pulse rifle together. And she tons of grenades. She has, like, a bandolier like Chewbacca has <laughs> <laughs> of, of grenades. I think I said it was because women are really good at time management. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, boom, we hit bottom floor. This is the first time in the film that we get a first-person perspective of Ripley. And it's kind of like a video game in a way where Ripley's trying to find new. This place is going, like, there's smoke and steam going everywhere because this place is shutting down really bad. and. Mm-hmm. Before um, Bishop dropped Ripley off, he's like, I'm going to try and stick around here as long as I can in my ship, but this shit's going to blow. you got to hurry up. So Ripley finally, you know, makes it through this compound, finds Newt right before she's about to be impregnated by an alien, saves her, blasts a few more aliens, runs and ends up finding herself in the middle of a nest. And we finally get to see the queen alien. Which, like I said before, you have to check out the special features because the way this alien was built is nuts. It's by Stan Winston. The way it looks before they put all the makeup on it is it looks crazy. But when they get spackle all that slime and shit on there, this is a piece of art. Agreed. It's really cool how they made it different from the rest of the aliens. The queen it just has this huge head. <laughs> and it's like a crown, you know. I, I, that's mm-hmm. what I would say. Is is and it's. You get to see like this egg sack, like pooping out these these uh, face hugger eggs all around. Like, oh, okay, this makes sense now. It's by the reactor. It's warm there. That's where most things will lay their eggs in places that are warm. Uh, Ripley doesn't like this. She starts blasting the eggs, and then she goes ape shit. She flamethrowers a bunch of eggs. Starts shooting the grenade launcher. Blasting all of her ammo out, screaming, ah! <laughs> She, like, throws all the grenades in yeah, there, right? Blast, you know, and takes Newt and gets the fuck out of there. They only have a few more minutes left. 
She's about to hit the elevator and go up, and that's when the alien queen detaches herself from the whole egg sack and this, the egg dispenser, I guess that's what you call it. Starts chasing Ripley. Uh, Ripley makes it to where Bishop is supposed to be, and like the whole running thing of this movie is that Ripley doesn't trust androids at all. Mm-hmm. And then when she finally reaches this place where he could land, he isn't there. He had already left. So she's like, God damn it, Bishop! <laughs> But, of course, Bishop ends up um, getting there with a few few minutes left, and Ripley's able to board, and then take off, which is probably one of the coolest, you know, explosion scenes, explosion escape scenes ever, where, you know, the, the fire's right behind you, or, or very reminiscent to Return of the Jedi, when they, they shoot those, those, uh, those proton torpedoes in the middle of the Death Star and then speed the fuck out. And then oh, yeah. It's kinda like, it kind of reminds me of that, but way more grandiose. Yeah. And then they reach safe distance. They uh, reach the Sulaco. We see that Hicks is pretty fucked up. He, yeah. his face got melted. Part of his body got melted from the from the aliens' acid. And Ripley is like, "Okay, thank you, Bishop. You know, you, you did really well. I'm sorry that I kind of treated you like shit." Yeah. And then he had, he had to circle. He had to circle around yeah. because the platform was really unstable, and yeah. him and Hicks would have died. But because he came back and he kind of got hooked a little bit into the area where he went to pick Ripley up, like on a little, like a hand, like a railing of some sort, we don't get to see it. But that's where I think the alien queen hid on the the uh, the dropship. But once they get back to the Sulaco, that's when the alien queen actually shows herself. She rips Bishop in half, and we get to see all of his beautiful android insides. And then that's where you threw up. So he's spinning. And then we get the introduction of the power loader again because we get a one-on-one fight between Ripley and the alien queen, Mama versus Mama. Mm-hmm. And from there, you know, uh, it's cool to see that that uh, Ripley, of course, knew how to control this power loader before, and then she you know, gets to fight in it, and then she kills the alien once again by shooting her out of the goddamn airlock. Yeah, she, but she has one of the most iconic lines in film history when which, she comes out in that power loader. Which is? Get away from her, you bitch! <laughs> I'm to that word, but I will totally allow it oh, in yeah. this circumstance. I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> so they kill the alien again, and everyone goes into hypersleep, and Newt asks Ripley, you know, can we dream again? And Ripley says, yeah. And then that's the end of the movie. Yeah. And that's exactly where I think the Aliens franchise should have ended. Mm-hmm. I am a fan. I still like Alien 3. I like Alien Resurrection. I like Alien Covenant. I even like Prometheus. Yeah. But I think that's where the Alien 
I think that's the story of Ripley. Yes. Should have ended. Uh, do you feel the same way, or...? I agree. Like I said earlier, I don't remember anything about Alien 3 anymore. That's how long it's been since I've seen it. But yeah, I think that would be a good ending. And also, that would mean that technically, Michael Bean survived a movie. Right, because... <laughs> yeah, uh, um, Neil Blomkamp, who was the director of District 9, Elysium, Chappie, he wrote out and did sketches of a aliens, a direct aliens sequel with which would have Hicks and Sigourney Weaver back in it again. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I don't think that movie's ever going to get made because of uh, Ridley Scott did Covenant when they were supposed to do the the sequel oh, to Aliens. Yeah. And Neil Blomkamp moved on to other projects from there. So, unfortunately, I don't think we'll ever see it. I would love to see an Aliens movie done by Neil Blomkamp. Me too. I think it would be really interesting and action-packed. But, oh well. Yeah. I like Covenant. I like Covenant, too. I thought too. Covenant was yeah. pretty cool. Prometheus is really the only one that I didn't like. Mm. I think maybe... Nah, maybe you don't have to watch it again. Because it's over two hours and you hate movies. Well, I'm all set. Yeah, I you're like it. <laughs> Uh, what do you think about the different gestation periods of the aliens in the movies? Because in movies like Covenant, it seems like it's like 20 minutes and then the the alien pops out of the chest. Yeah. But with the original Alien, it kind of seems like it was maybe a day or two even. Right. And even in Aliens, it, it's... I don't know. It's it just, it just one of those things that seems really fucked up throughout the, the other movies. It's it just either took very it was really quick or it took forever i just never can get how long it takes for it to grow and pop out yeah yeah it, there are varying times which i guess is kind of annoying but i think this is one of those instances where i'm going to tell you to calm down <laughs> <laughs> okay it's a movie. okay okay <laughs> but yes i agree the gestation periods vary right. quite a bit yeah uh Sigourney Weaver made a million dollars. The first woman to ever make a million dollars off a movie role. Fantastic. Which was great. She was fantastic in this film. She mentioned before that she didn't want to have a gun in this film at all. She didn't. Mm. She she was against it, but she James Cameron had to be like, hey, listen, you know, your reason for this, and then he finally convinced her to do it and did the movie for a mill and made this character iconic. Yes. And it's... And the character wasn't iconic after the first one, really. It was iconic after this film. This really made Ripley Ripley. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, One of my favorite characters of all time, and even with Sigourney Weaver, is one of my favorite actors of all time. So I give this movie a definite A+. Plus. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you can't tell by now, I, uh, this has been a staple of my, of my life. I, I constantly do Aliens quotes. I, <laughs> I can, whenever this movie's on, I'll watch it I, to, the, to the end, no matter where I catch it. Mine, too. I've watched this movie maybe not a hundred times. <laughs> close. I've watched this movie a lot, many, many times. Um... Yeah, I give it an, even the director's cut or special edition, whatever. Two and a half hours. I still give it an A+. Plus because those scenes, maybe not totally necessary, but useful. Very useful, yes. Yeah. Oh, do you have a favorite scene? So it's 
there it's I guess it's the same scene, but I can't decide if it's so your favorite scene is when she blasts all the eggs. She like slowly backs out of there and right, blasts yeah. all the eggs. That's a good scene. Mine is obviously get away from her, you bitch. But also kind of the end of that scene where you realize where she opens the airlock. The hatch again. The yeah. hatch and, and blows it out of the damn airlock. Not only is she stronger than space, like she holds on, she climbs out. out. She gets the fuck out of, of there, yes. Space! And then closes <laughs> the airlock again. It's amazing. Ripley is stronger than space. <laughs> I agree. That's my favorite part, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, oh man, you know, I I wish I can. I have tons of favorite scenes in here. Uh, I can go on and on about some of the characters like Drake before, and just and just about some of these other characters that we didn't get to know, like Where's Bowski and Crow. And this this movie always just left me wanting more, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. I'm happy I don't know, and I'm unhappy I don't know. Like it's just there's just so much more that I want to know about this whole world that James Cameron created, but it's all just confined in this two and a half hour movie, right. and that's yeah. A question. Sure. When were com- when was the comic book born? The After aliens this movie. Uh, I there was an aliens comic book. It was um, it's called Newt's Story. I want to say okay, and it came out right after the movie, and it takes place from Newt's perspective, from where they pick up the eggs until the Marines come, yeah. and then they finish the story out of Aliens from there. I think it was okay. only two issues, and it went through exactly what happened. I don't think it's canon to the Alien franchise. Right. And also, I didn't read it. And two, like, the artwork isn't all that great in there anyway. Oh, okay. Did you ever... Because, you know, when you wanted more of the Star Wars world, you, like, read a book. And right. And you know all of the side things and side characters. Did you do that with Aliens? No, I didn't. Because they did some offshoots. They did, like, Hive Wars. And they did, like, Alien versus Predator and right. Batman. And they did all these. And I really didn't get into that all that much. Batman? Yeah, there's an alien. Fights aliens? Dude, there's an alien versus Batman movie. They're, well, it's like a 10 minute movie, and it's done oh, really, yeah. really well. Okay, we'll watch it after this. Okay. And you should watch it too, because the movie starts out with like um, aliens. I mean, uh, Batman's in this dark alley, right? And like, um, he caught the Joker. And the Joker's, like, telling him, like, stuff. And then the alien comes and grabs the Joker, like, from a building. Is that the one with Boner from... Yeah, Boner. Oh, yeah, I've seen it. I remember now, yeah. Yeah, it's a cool little ten-minute movie. It has Predator, Alien, and fucking Batman in it. But those were... Yeah, I really just didn't get into it because I didn't think they were canon for the the whole universe of Aliens. Okay. I'm just wondering... Just, just, just one. Just Because, you know, just, like I said about Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. There's all the things. Another cool thing that I did find on the internet, of course, is that right around, like, a little time after Aliens was released, there was this um, magazine called Starlog. And I still think it exists. It was, like, a sci-fi magazine. And people wrote in uh, questions they had about the movie Aliens. Or, or they would say, oh, I love the movie, or oh, this part sucks because of this, or why is this, this, this. And James Cameron actually answered every single person who wrote into that, that, wow. that issue in an essay saying, okay, well, this is the reason of this. Um, uh, this wasn't in there because um, I had to cut that part out, but hopefully we'll, you'll be able to see it in a, uh, a different edition of the movie that hopefully will be released in a few years. So it was a really cool little thing that he did just... 
answering people's questions afterward about about these uh, extended scenes or why this was there. One question I always had though is that when um, Pharaoh and Spunkmeyer were gonna go pick up Ripley and everyone else, Bishop wasn't with them. Bish they left Bishop. Like, uh, while he was testing the aliens, oh. when Spunkmeyer goes, Bishop, and he's like, oh, this, Bishop. Is, and he's yeah. like this is fascinating. They leave him there. So even if Pharaoh and Spunkmeyer lived, they were going to ditch Bishop back in the <laughs> <laughs> Poor Bishop, man. <laughs> that about does it for us. I would like to say thank you to 8-Bit Geek, uh, Jer, Doug, and Kevin. Thanks a lot for this opportunity. Yeah. And... Hopefully everyone listening to you guys will, will give us a chance, uh, give us a listen, and hopefully you learn a little bit more about Aliens, and hopefully uh, you'll like it as much as I do if you haven't seen it before, but this is definitely a staple of any geek should watch this movie. So thank you very much, and this is My Bleeding Ears saying good night and have a happy Halloween. Thanks for listening.